Turn your Bibles, if you would, to Psalm 127. And I want to just look at this psalm this morning. Psalm 127 and 128 are both family psalms. And if you want to use those for some instruction for your families, I actually was telling a family recently that it would be good for you to, as a family, um, memorize Psalm 121 together. Uh, these are also some great psalms to be able to memorize. And uh, I wanted just to kind of give you a quick message this morning before we bring all the children up, is that one of the most inspiring ambitions of King David was to prepare in the building of the temple. You know, I always believe that the preparation is the key, not the performance. And uh, we built our home. Uh, many of you have been out there to see it and so on. And it went through a lot of preparation we can't even imagine all that went into the temple and how that Solomon, the one of the wisest men to ever be on the earth, was able to accomplish that. Of course, David was the one that prepared in many of the things and needs. There had been intense preparation with immense honor bestowed upon Solomon. But David's son, to build it and to build the temple specifically to meet all the needs. In the second year of Solomon's reign, preparations commenced upon Uh, a magnificent scale. There was artists and architects that actually came from Tyre and Sidon. That would be Lebanon area, from Gabal and other parts of Phoenicia. They were hired, these workers, to come in as far as the artwork or the architect that was involved. 153,600 men were drafted into the service of actually building the temple. Some worked in the mountains, and the other were employed in the transportation. Others worked in quarries to be able to take all of the, the, the stones and, and all of the materials that they needed to be able to build this beautiful place. And the great cedars of Lebanon, uh, of course, were used, and they would actually hew these big... Um, big trees down, and then they would shave them, and then they would put them on boats and bring them down from Lebanon into Jerusalem, and they were transported not only in the water, but also then on land to bring it to the place of the building site. But three years were occupied in the preparing of the timbers and the stones and the artifacts of such a sacred place with the right kind of furniture and so on. Seven more years were added to erect and complete the structure. And so as we're talking about this magnificent building, we have then the psalmist who is directing us to remember that if lest the Lord build the house, you're going to labor in vain. And so I want to just talk to the families for just a little bit today and help you understand that you have one of the most important responsibilities as a mom and dad. It's, it's huge. The home is absolutely essential. Everyone loves to be home. We actually got a little slogan on our church that says, come home to grace. It's on our vehicles. It's on our sign. And when people come here, I want them to know that they're among friends. Ernest uh, Hettensburg, a German theologian in the early 1800s, wrote this. This psalm, Psalm 127, seems designed also to encourage parents in their numerous domestic cares and their privations by holding forth the blessings of a numerous and well-ordered family. But however, some feel that King David actually wrote this psalm to Solomon. 
And some believe that Solomon wrote it, and some believe that David wrote it to Solomon. One of the writers actually went on, and it was Matthew Henry said this. This is a family psalm, as diverse before were state poems and church poems. It is entitled, as we read it, For Solomon, dedicated to him by his father. He having a house built, a city to keep and seed to raise up to his father, David directs him to look up to God and to depend upon his providence without uh, which all his wisdom, care, and industry would not serve. And some take it to have been penned by Solomon himself, that it may as well have been read by Solomon. And so as we look at the main channel of thought here, though, in Psalm 127, we see that the human enterprises only succeed with divine blessing. And so you can live in a wonderful country like America, and you can have the best of jobs, but you can have the most horrible home if you're not careful. You can actually think that you can buy everything, but you can't buy a good family. You can't buy, by the way, most of the time, the children that are nurtured in the home get their character from their parents. And uh, usually it is the girls looking to the dad. And, uh, and, then, and the girls looking to the, to, uh, looking, girls looking to the dad and the boys looking to the mom. But that's not in every case. But most of the time it's true. If you watch, sometimes you'll say, you know, that's, that's, you, know you can certainly see that the apple hasn't fallen from the tree very far. But uh, sometimes I'll talk to a man and I'll see that his daughter has the same kind of mannerisms and the same kind of character that the dad has. And so when we're talking about this, it's important for us to understand that in our culture today, People are shifting away from children. They really are. There are some cultures, uh, some places that they don't even want children. A while back, I was talking to a family, and they went to a restaurant. And you know what it said on their wall? No children allowed. No customers then, right. But can you imagine not wanting children around? I think children are wonderful, don't you? I think that they need to be helped and nurtured and so on. I heard at an annual family reunion, a young bride led her husband over to an old grumpy woman sitting in a rocking chair. Granny, she said, touching the old woman's hand affectionately, this is my new husband. The woman eyed him from feet to his head. And she said, do you desire children? And he kind of didn't know what to say. And she was kind of startled at her bluntness. And the young man blushed and stammered, and he said, well, yes, I do. And he says, she said to him, just slow down a little bit, would you, as she looked at all the children around. And so sometimes that's the attitude of people, is that they say, slow down, we don't want so many children. But did you, t- but did you realize that the greatest thing that we could have right now in America is godly children? That's what we need. We need some young people that have a desire to please God, that understand their purpose in life. After the dedication of his baby brother in church, little Johnny was sobbing in the back of the car on the way home from church. And his father asked him three times what was wrong, and he wouldn't, he wouldn't respond. And finally the boy replied, the pastor said he wanted my brother to be born up in a Christian home, and I, wanna, I want him to come home with us. <laughs> it might be interesting as we think about it just for a little bit. You'll get that later on. In 1960, the proportion of one's life spent living with a spouse and children in the home was 62 percent. 1985 was down to 43 percent. 
By 2010, married couples with children will account for only 20% of the households. Pretty interesting. We look at 2020, what's going on in our world today. And by the way, I'm not one bit concerned about what God is doing in our country. You know, God is ultimately in charge. He is the one that is going to allow us to either rejoice or be hurt a week from Tuesday. It is up to God. We do our part, and we think, oh, we got control of this. No, we don't. God's got control of it. My wife and I decided that we were going to not eat today until tomorrow morning. We're looking forward to a good breakfast tomorrow morning together. We prayed already this morning, not only for our church, but also for our president and our country that God would have his will and his way in our lives and also in the lives of others. But I was thinking about this home and how that God desires for it to be fortified really by his grace. Look at verse number one, if you would, in your Bibles. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman wakes, but in vain. There seems to be here a little bit of an allusion to the word worry. Sometimes people would sit up all night worrying about their children. And by the way, kids, mom and dad love you. And if they put some restraints on you, it's because they care about you and they love you. You realize that God has given to us a book of commands and statutes and given us a tremendous amount of understanding of his love. And so with those boundaries, there is going to be a love coming from God, but also from the parents. And so the home must be fortified by God, except the Lord is involved with all, all of it's going to be vain. For, for the raising of a family, except the Lord build the house by his providence and blessing, those labor in vain, though ever so uh, talented, perhaps, or educated, we need the Lord to build our homes. Uh, I think for securing a family, if the guards of the city cannot secure it without, God, much less than a good man of the house, save his house from being broken into. Just like somebody would look to a police officer to keeping a neighborhood safe, I really believe that God wants us to be able to keep our homes and keep our homes secure. And by the way, parents, the best thing you can do is take away your child's computer. Now, I'm not going to make friends with some of the kids today, but I'm going to be honest with you parents. If you allow your children to be in a room with their own TV and their own computer, you know who's going to raise your kids? It's not going to be the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's going to be ABC and NBC. And you know what they're after? Worldly things. I'm not trying to be mean, but we have to be careful in the area of raising our children. And be careful, you are responsible to guard your home and to keep your home. And if you let the Lord build the house, he will actually build your children up and strengthen them to be what they should be for society. For the enriching of the family, this is a work of the time and thought, but cannot be effective without the favor and the providential hand of the Almighty God. Let me give you three things to think about and we'll be all done. The first thing when we're concerning a home, there are three main ingredients And here's the first thing. You need a Christ-centered devotion in your home. 
Listen to these verses. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, 4, And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and in the admonition of the Lord. You know how important a good father and a relationship with the children are in the home? It's absolutely essential. Dads, don't think that your mom's there or your wives are there to actually raise the children. God wants you involved in the home. He wants you to be able to be with those children and to pray with those children and direct them toward things that are right in the area of devotion. Deuteronomy 6, verse number 7 says, And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And so what does it mean to have a Christ-devoted home? One of the things for certain is it's not a home that's governed by dead, restrictive rules. Can, can I just share with you that the, 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 the most important thing in your home is a relationship with your children? Not the rules and the laws. Now, God has given us a book of guidelines, hasn't he? A book of uh, rules and commandments and statutes. God's given us that in the scriptures as we look at them. Do you know why he gave us that? If you, if you look and understand this, God gave us that so that we could have the good life so that we could live the right way. You see, God automatically is a God of love. And so if we look at God as a God of love, and His nature is is love, He is going to then place guidelines out of love in our life and in our family. Let me just share this with you, that you say, well, I've had some really bad things happen to me. Why don't you take that situation that you're going through? I had a lady call me this morning, and I said, take your problem and, and personify it. Let's say it's loneliness, and you would take then and personify it and put that loneliness in front of you. Look beyond you and look at the cross of Jesus Christ. Don't focus on your problem. Focus on the cross of Christ. Do you realize that when we focus on the cross of Christ, we're focusing on a God who loves us, that he he sent his only begotten son, he gave us his only begotten son to love us and to care for us. If we just stare at our problems and look at our situations and say how bad things are without looking to the cross, we'll be discouraged. We'll be fearful. We push back into our own world and we'll make our own decisions. And then someday you'll say, why did I make that decision? It was just so foolish. Because you weren't looking at the cross of Christ. If you look at what Christ has done for you, he's loved you, he's cared for you, he's brought you to where you are today, and you're not here by accident. God providentially brought you here today so that you could actually enjoy the good life. And by the way, if you think the American dream is living it loosely and living the way you want to live, that's not the way the American dream is. The American dream is is that we we work and we worship a God in heaven who loves us and cares for us. And so you go back to this understanding that it's not all about us. It's about others and a God who loves us and nurtures us along the way. How do I have a Christ-centered home? Make sure that you tell the children that you care for them and you love them and you'll help them. And even with the restrictions, you'll put the boundaries in their lives so that they can have the good life. I'm so thankful that my mom and dad gave me some rules. I'm so thankful for that, but I'm thankful that they loved me enough to say that these guidelines are for you to be able to live the good life. God wants us to live and have a happy day. He doesn't want us to be all pressured and full of guilt and despair because we're not obeying what God puts in his commands. So I think it's important for us to understand, first of all, that we must have a situation where God 
shows us how we can have a Christ-devoted life. Secondly, having a Christ-centered devotion involves grace of forgiveness. This is absolutely key, that we learn how to forgive. If you can't forgive in the home, your kids will never learn how to forgive. Now, I remember my mother growing up, and she's probably watching today. So I've got to be careful what I say. I love you, Mom. I do. <laughs> but let me tell you something. My mom, sometimes she didn't put up with too much. And sometimes she actually made the, 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 the rules a little bit uh, stronger than I think they needed to be. But you know what? I will never tell you that my mom didn't love me. She loved me, even with her guidelines. And God loves you. To have a Christ-centered home, you must have the scriptures present. You must do it, dear friend. You can't just raise kids and say, look what we did. It takes time and patience and forgiveness. Forgiveness in the home. Oh, listen to me. If you don't get anything out of this message, make sure that in your house there is forgiveness everywhere. I forgive you. It's not just saying, I'm sorry. Uh, It's saying, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? It's going a step further. There's a lot involved here. But I think it's important for us, thirdly, then, having a Christ-centered devotion initiates service. Somehow there must be a place where you can serve the Lord together, a Christ-centered home. Guess what we do on Sunday? We go to church. Even during COVID, I told the men, I just really appreciate you. Our Sunday school room was full this morning. And if you're watching, you missed out. We had a wonderful class together. Ladies were in here. My wife did a good job. I'm sure she did. She's just, she's just a blessing. But let me tell you something. When you go to church as a family, that's absolutely essential that we gather together as a family at church. I can remember growing up in our house and my mom would actually prepare the dinner before we left, and then sometimes we'd come home and you could smell it in the crock pot or whatever. And then we'd sit around the table together. We'd talk about the sermon. We'd, we'd, we'd talk about how handsome the pastor was, you know, and, and how wonderful his personality is, you know, and everything. You remember those days, right? But it really, the old chicken dinner around the table with mom and dad there. And by the way, if you don't do that, you need to start doing that. You've got to have meals together. So we're going to sit down at the table, and we're going to be able to, But life is just crazy. Yeah, it's because of the way you're doing it. Get your priorities in straight. And by the way, when, when you tithe, not just your finances, but you tithe your time, God gives you more time. And when you tithe your talent, oh, God begins to bless you that area too. So it's important that we understand a Christ-centered home. And fourthly, having a Christ-centered devotion implies order. Developing the heart of your home demands order in a house that is actually full of order. If we were to go around and say, how is your home today from the scale of one to ten? Now, don't raise your hand, but if you say, well, my home has got about, uh, if it's orderly, I think it's about a nine. You know, or you'd say, my house, as far as its order is concerned, it's about a two. You know, it's up to you to bring order to the home. But I think... For us to know that, that the heart of the home involves a Christ-centered relationship with God that has a house that's full of order. That means the children make their bed when they're supposed to, and they take the trash out without being asked. 
say, oh, my goodness, Pastor, you're demanding too much. (laughs) Write it down. If you don't have order in the home, you're going to have chaos with your kids. You've got to have order in the home. The second thing I want you to think about is I'm tuning this down, turning it down a little bit and covering. I'm not going to do everything, but here's another thing to think about. A Bible-based discipline in your home. How do, I, how do I have the heart of my home? I can be in control of the heart of my home. home. It's got to be Christ-centered. The second thing is I've got to have a Bible-based discipline in the home. In other words, if God's against it, so are we. In the home. If God says you shouldn't be doing this, then you shouldn't be doing it. And, Daz, let me tell you something. It is up to you to lead. Jesus said make fishers of women, didn't he? No, make fishers of men. Because the man needs to lead in the home. Guess what we're doing today? We're going to church. Guess what we're going to do? We're going to have supper together tonight. Guess what we're going to do tonight? We're going to have devotions together. I'm going to read a psalm, and you children are going to actually be involved with telling us what God has spoken to you about in the psalm. And then ask them questions, simple questions like, did you have a good week this week, yes or no? And then move from the simple yes and no questions, move into the questions like, what was the best thing that happened to you this week? They'll tell you. Maybe you could actually say to them, what's something that I can pray for you about? When's the last time you asked your child? Uh, husbands, when's the last time you asked your wife, what can I pray for you about? What's, what's, what's on your mind? What are you having a difficult with? And they'll be able to express, how can we pray and nurture our children if we don't know what's on their mind? I hope you understand this morning one of the greatest needs is a Bible-based instruction and discipline. In other words, it really needs to be controlled and premeditated. If you're going to flow off the handle and start yelling, screaming, and throwing things in the home, that's not the kind of discipline that God has for the home. If you are studying the guidelines, here's a guideline in the home. I want you in by 10 o'clock. They come in at 10 o'clock. Let's say they come in at 10.30. What do you do? You already tell them ahead of time. If you come in later than 10 o'clock, I get your car keys. You've got to do this, folks. Simple, practical, but be premeditated when you're disciplining your children. Don't just throw off the handle. Biblically uh, principled and corrective, the Bible says, Chasten thy son while there is hope, and let not thy soul... Spare for his crying. Do you ever have your children sob? They go, <laughs> do you ever have them do that? Yeah. You that have young girls probably do that, but sometimes boys will do that too. We raised four sons. And I would say, listen, you, I remember one time when, my, when our boys were goofing around in church. And, and I, we were at Northland, and the boys were just little guys. And we had them in church, and they were cutting up. And you know what I was doing? I was putting check marks down every time I corrected them put little lines down like this on a piece of paper. And then I looked over at my second son, Andrew, and I said, those are your swats you're going to get. Because I corrected you four times. And see the cross? That's the fifth time right there. So that's five swats coming to you. Say, you spanked your children? You bet I did. (laughs) Let me tell you something. I got the best boys in Dane County. I'm not just saying that. I'm telling you the truth. And you know what it took? Discipline and order in the home. And I said to them, you're going to get those swats. Well, guess what happened? 
One of them thought it was funny. So I gave him another one. And then another one. And pretty soon you could see that the funniness was going away. (laughs) That particular time, I was on the way home and I got home and sat him down and I said, boys, see all these swats? I'm going to give you some mercy. Because I wanted them to understand forgiveness and mercy. If I'm going to be the person in my home that is kind of like the God image, if you would, in the home, if they're going to get the understanding of God from me and my wife, then I better make sure that they understand what his mercy looks like and what his grace looks like. And I didn't spank him that night. There might have been other nights when I did. But I'm so thankful that regardless of how that they would cry, I still spanked them. Sometimes they were going to get it and they knew it. They'd do this. <laughs> I'll be good. I'll be good, Dad. You know, I'd say, close your mouth. It's not coming out. At least they kept their mouth closed, right? How would you raise your kids? How would you raise your children? You understand that the Bible's very clear with your children. And by the way, this is more important than the government's rules right here. God has made three institutions. He made the government. Let him be the government. He made the home. You're in charge of that. He made the church. You've got the pastors and the deacons and so on. Let me tell you something. Those three institutions are absolutely essential. But let me tell you something. God is in control of his church. The government is not. We must move forward. We must worship the king. Time is short. Let's raise our kids to be godly kids. Going back to the scriptures and knowing very clearly the chastening thy son while there is hope. And let not thy soul spare for his crying. Instructive and nurturing. The Bible says, hear ye children the instruction of a father. And attend to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine. Forsake ye not my law, for I was my father's son, tender and the only beloved in the sight of my mother. And he taught me also and said to me, let thine heart retain my words and keep my commandments and you shall live. You want the good life? Do what the Bible says. But have some biblical, biblical standards in the area of discipline in your home. Focus on your beliefs in the home. Focus on restoring relationships within the home. Be listening to your children and encourage them. Can I tell you something that happened to me this week? And I'll just go to the last point after this illustration. I, I've got a bad back issue going on. And, and I, I, I tell you what, this week's been hard. I, I, I've got some schooling that I've done. I'm in the office. I'm getting everything done. By the way, your pastor will never fail you. I will do my duty and my responsibility. And you want to know where pastor's at? He's in this place. This is the church that God gave me to pastor, and I'll do the best I can, as long as I can, to do what God wants us to do here at Grace Baptist Church. But on this week, I was in the office, and I get a phone call from one of the nurses. and I, I, It was almost like she was a Nazi nurse. you know. And, 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 and she was like on the phone with me, telling me to do certain things, and then the doctor got on the phone, and they were like, now, now you sit down and, and, and put your feet down and then raise your toes up. Can you do that? I said, yes, I can. You don't have to yell at me. 
you know. And, and she's going on that. I'm thinking, you know, and, and I tell you what, I was getting upset with her. And I was going to go, you know. But I was really kind, and I said, yes, no, ma'am, and I hung up the phone. And it occurred to me that she's probably having a really hard time with COVID. She's probably a doctor that doesn't know what to do. She's been having to go here and there and so on. And, and so I made it a point in my office that the next person that calls me, I'm going to be really kind to them. And I'm going to speak to them the way that I, I would like to be speak to. So another person called. They're going to make an appointment. And I said to her at the end of the conversation, I said, you know, this has been really a pleasant thing that you called me to set this appointment. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you. You know what? She was flabbergasted that I commented how wonderful a job she did. I got another phone call for another appointment to make, and I was as kind as I could be to her. You know why? Because she's having a tough time. And where are they going to see Christ-centeredness? And where are they going to see the kind of spirit that needs to be in this world if we get angry with one another and yell at people and make fun of them or discredit them or find reasons to discredit them? We don't need to have that in Christian in our Christian circles. We don't need to have it in our homes. We ought to love people. So that means that in the home, you can talk nice to one another. Because sometimes we go to church and we do this. Hi, brother. Hi, sister. It's so nice to see you. And you go home. What's up? Look at all the shoes here at the door. Seriously? This is why we do it at church. Oh, says, give each other a holy kiss. And then you're grumpy at home. No wonder our houses are a mess and our homes are a mess. It's because we think that maybe perhaps church is different or when we're at work, it's different. You need to be the same at work and at church and at home. And God will help you do that as you yield to him, your spirit, just saying, Lord, help me to be consistent in the home. Wouldn't it be nice if we were nicer at home than we were at other places? Now, I don't want you to come to church and say, look at that, put that hymnal away. I don't want you to do that either. You've got to be nice to one another. But I think we need to be also selfless in the home. Selfless in the home. It's real easy for parents to be self-oriented and to plan everything around them rather than thinking about the child. I think it's important for us all to be future-oriented. Hear, O my son, and receive my sayings, and the years of thy life shall be many. I want my sons to live the abundant life. Teach them how to work. Teach them how to be honest. I mean, good night. There's just so much here that I could go on and on about. But lastly, I want to just share this with you. The next thing, the third thing, is that we have a mutual delight, that we delight in one another. You know what? When you come home and you open your arms to that child and that child runs up to you and says, Daddy's home, there ought to be that same mutual love for one another in the home. I think it's important for us to have that desire. By the way, for whom the Lord loves, he corrects, even as a father, the son in whom he delights. Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give thee he shall give delight unto thy soul. The delight, and the word delight, it actually talks about enjoying. And so there needs to be that physical affection 
but there needs to be personal affirmation and there needs to be practical appreciation. Affection, affirmation, and appreciation in the home will help our homes. You say, what do I do? Practical things. Give me two minutes and I'll be done. The first thing is plan for fun times with the family. You've got to do this. Put them on the calendar. We're going to do this. You know what, folks? I've only got, 100, I only got a, a minute and 30 seconds left, but there was times when my boys would sit at home without their dad because I got a phone call or whatever. That hurt them because these people were more important than them. We've got to be careful. Don't leave the most necessary for what you feel is urgent. Take care of the family. I love it when I see people get together at a restaurant or whatever, and everyone takes care of each other. The Spanish-speaking people that are here today, I praise the Lord for your model in your home because you take care of one another. You do. You work hard. Mucho trabajo. You work hard. Praise the Lord for that. And you worship God. Praise the Lord for that. We love you and we're so thankful for you. But make sure your homes are godly. Make sure they're Christ-centered. And if you don't know how to do that, talk to Brother Mario or, or Brother Alfredo. They will show you and help you plan things together. But save your energy for them. Okay? Dads, you work hard. Give it all at work. But save a little bit of energy for when you get home. And if you don't have any energy before you get there, don't close your eyes, but pray. And say, Lord, give me strength so when I go through those doors, I'll be able to be a dad to these children. Give me strength. Number one, plan family fun time. Number two, save your energy for them. Number three, serve the Lord together. We covered that. Number four is pray for them. You know, texting and messaging, some people don't like it. But I think it's okay for me to let my sons know that I'm praying for them. I'll text them and say, good morning, son. Praying for you. A few minutes later, thanks, Dad. Thank you. And I do pray for them. I think it's important. If we desire to have a godly home, then we need to control the heart of the home. God is ahead. Christ is ahead of the church. The government shall be upon his shoulders. But the heart of the home comes from the parents. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for a wonderful time together this morning. We pray that you would strengthen us now, Lord, as we go forward, help the dads in here to realize that the most important thing they can do is be a godly dad. And Father, if there's some men that aren't saved here this morning, I pray that they would come to know you as Lord and Savior, that they would say, those Christians got something that I need, and they'll understand how they too can be born again. We pray you bless the families in Jesus' name. Amen.